this series is a little bit different, something I've never done before, and I want to kind of uh, reiterate why we're doing it this way. Um, you know, this last week we got to a monumental period together. Uh, we surpassed six months, and you haven't fired me yet, so yay! So that's good, and uh, I'm excited. Our family's excited. We've uh, loving Stratford and loving you all more and more and getting to know you all. And one uh, thing about this series that I was praying for God uh, to help me get to know you uh, better. And this idea popped in my head. Why not pull the church and, and let them develop a series right off the bat? And one, it gets me an insight on some of the passage of Scripture that you all may be fond of or just very familiar with or just churn to quite often, or maybe just some that you're interested in. So for the series, we're walking through and trying to figure out what is the biblical truth, because sometimes we can be so familiar with the passage of Scripture that we can almost forget the depth of what God is saying in that, in the context of what God is trying to say in that situation. And so I hope you've enjoyed this. Um, this morning's passage that we are turning to is not one of those that uh, I was very familiar with. I'd, I'd heard of it. I've read it before. Um, uh, I, I can't remember ever hearing a sermon preached on it. And I can't remember ever being a kid and uh, being taught on it during Sunday school. And the reason that is, is because I think if kids were to hear this story, it'd probably freak out. Um, it's the story of the Valley of Dry Bones. And so if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be turning to Ezekiel chapter 37. And uh, you may be familiar with it. You may have heard this story before. Um, you may love this story. This was actually number two of all the polled uh, scriptures and passages. We'll do number one as our very last sermon of this series. Um, but the Valley of Dry Bones, it just it shocked me. So good job. Way to go, people. Um, so we're in the book of Ezekiel. One thing I want to know as you begin making your way to Ezekiel chapter 37, set up a little context because context is going to help us understand what is being said here and what is going on so we know how it relates in that environment, but also how we are to live it out in our world today. Ezekiel is a prophetic book that should immediately tell us there are going to be things in the book of Ezekiel that are going to be pictures that we may not have be able to understand on surface. We may have to dig deeper into it and understand the context and the language that is used, the images that are being portrayed. Um, if you struggle with understanding everything like in the book of Revelation, then you are in good uh, standing because Ezekiel has a lot of that imagery as well, things that are very difficult to understand on the surface, but we're going to try to dive into this. It is a prophetic book. It's, one, it's considered one of the major prophetic books. If you're still searching for it, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, then you come to Ezekiel. Um, like I mentioned, we're going to be looking at the Valley of Dry Bones this morning. It begins in verse 1 of chapter 37, and it goes through verse 14. It's a very odd story. Uh, very odd passage of Scripture, but I hope you see as we walk through this, it is actually a very beautiful picture, even though dealing with dry bones, a very beautiful picture of God's grace and God's restoration. The context in setting up this is Ezekiel is a son of a priest. Um, and being a son of a priest, you pretty much have your job line set up. You are most likely going to take on the family job and become a priest yourself. The issue in Ezekiel's day is that the northern and southern kingdom, Judah and Israel, have been taken into captivity. Uh, Ezekiel can be broken up in three sections. The first section deals with the, the destruction of Jerusalem and ultimately the temple. The, the middle section of Ezekiel deals with the burdens, why God brought these, this destruction and brought these foreign nations against Israel and what they were doing. 
And then the final section, which chapter 37 falls in, is God speaking out to His people and speaking a, a message of hope, a message of salvation and deliverance and restoration. But Ezekiel, being a priest, he would have grown up with the Assyrian army threat to the north, the Egyptian threat to the south, and the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah speaking about a calling to repentance and, and speaking about the people of God being hard-hearted and stubborn and stiff-necked and how they wouldn't turn back to God. And so Ezekiel grew up in that world. And as he saw the temple collapse, his family line uh, job was basically decommissioned. And so God calls Ezekiel to be a prophet. And prophet is basically a spokesperson to God's people that brings the word of God, most of the times calling people to repent, but sometimes uh, revealing to the people what God is about to do to prepare their hearts. And so in chapter 37, this is what is going on, is that God is speaking to Ezekiel to speak to the people, to give him a vision, to give him a, a sense of what is about ready to take place and this all began because the people have come to realization of why they are in captivity. They're in Babylon at this time. The majority of the Israelites are in Babylon. They're in captivity. You can go to the book of Daniel and read in, in that certain situation. And what makes Ezekiel very unique is he is a prophet who speaks to the people of God in the midst of captivity, in the midst of Babylon. And this message is they are living in a world of hopelessness. A world where they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. A world where they feel that they're just going to die in this situation. They're just going to die in depression, die in defeat. And they're living in their graves. Ezekiel comes with the word of the Lord to speak about dry bones. And how dry bones can, in fact, come back to life. And so if you want to read with me in verse 30, or chapter 37, let's read through verse 14. And the hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. And then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I replied, Lord God, only you know. And he said to me, Prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to those bones. I will cause breath to enter you, and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you will come into life, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them. Flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So you just don't see many pictures of this in children's Sunday schools, right? <laughs> and he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the Lord God says. Breathe, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. And then you will know that I am the Lord and I have spoken and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. 
As we read through this, one thing I want us to see that is a constant theme throughout Scripture, and that is that the name of the Lord be praised. The situation that God's people have found themselves coming into Ezekiel is that they were not praising the name of the Lord. See, God has set us apart. He set the people of Israel in the Old Testament apart so that the whole nations, the whole world would look upon them. They would know, in fact, that He is God and that He is the one true God and He is worthy to be praised and to live a life in accordance to His rules, regulations, and commands. The people of God weren't doing that. And so God sent them into captivity. This message here in chapter 37, if you look there in verse 1, I want you to see a very important aspect of it. It says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and He brought me out of His spirit. This is a language implying that this is a vision. Okay? This is not a physical nor a literal thing that is happening. Ezekiel is not placed in a valley where bones are literally coming together and forming. He, he is there in a vision. It is a language, if you turn to the book of Revelation, you find the Gospel of John or the Apostle John saying that he was taken up in the Spirit. This is the same language that Ezekiel uses throughout his book that God has given him a vision of things to come. And the vision pertains to these dry bones. It says he takes me to this valley. It was a valley that was full of bones there at the end of verse 1. And he led me all around them in verse 2. And there were a great many of them on the surface, and they were very dry. So what Ezekiel is given is he is given a vision of what God is seeing in his people. See, God calls us all into a covenant relationship with Him. It has begun since God set a covenant with Abraham, and it continued as God brought them out of Egypt and heading towards the promised land. God is a God of promises. He is a God of covenants. He is a God who is faithful. The issue here in Ezekiel is God's people were not being faithful to God. They were not worshiping Him. They were not serving Him. They were not being obedient to Him. They were doing whatever they saw fit, and so God handed them over to judgment. And what Ezekiel gives is given here, and what we're given is that they are, the, the representation, they are full of bones, which means they are full of death. Death is caused by sin. Sin is caused by disobedience to the word and commands of God. This is how God saw his people. You are full of bones. You are full of sin. You are full of disobedience. You are full of death. Yet in seeing them in the way he is, if we keep in mind what God is going to do for them, it is an amazing sign of his grace. As a matter of fact, it even goes on to say there at the end of verse 2 that these bones were very dry, implying that this is not something that just happened and God just kind of like blew up, like some of us can do sometimes, we did aggravated. This is something that was going on for a long period of time, and by God's grace and God's patience and His mercy, He allowed it to continue. But their spiritual condition was drying up so much that they were no longer representing the people that God had called them to be. They were no longer being his people. He was no longer seen as their God and the people could not look upon them in the way they were living and say, yes, God is God. They were dried up spiritually. They were dried up righteously. They were dried up in obedience. And it had been going on for a long period of time. Matter of fact, if we go back into historical books, we can see at the latter parts of King Solomon's reign as king, the nation of Israel slowly started to pull away from God at that point in time. And here we have Ezekiel speaking to a people who are now what they would call their graves. See, that's the way they view their captivity. The, the language we find here in chapter 37 is a language that the people of God have understood because they refer to their captivity in Babylon as their graves. This is where we're going to die. 
There's no hope here. This is the end. We can't see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. Sometimes we all can feel that way at times. We get in such a situation that we just, we can't see hope. We can't see how this is going to be remedied. We can't see how this is going to be restored. And so God is speaking to their hearts in a language that they understood. And he's bringing hope. As Ezekiel looks out into this valley and he begins seeing these bones, the question is asked there in verse 3. Son of man. Son of man is a common title given to Ezekiel throughout this book. He says, can these bones live? The meaning of the question is, can what is dead be brought back to life? Can what is dead be given a rebirth? Can it be reunited? Can it be reconciled and restored and rebuilt? Can it be reestablished with the God of the living? Here the question, if you were put in that situation and you are Ezekiel and you're given this vision and God is showing you a valley of death and he asks you, can this death come back to life? You would flat out say, no. And this is why I know you would say it. How many of y'all have ever been to a funeral? I've been to funerals and I've ministered in numerous funerals. It's a time where people have a lot of questions. It's, a lot of, it's times that some people have no hope and they're searching for it. But one thing I've always seen in, in most funerals is usually in front there is a casket or a coffin. And in that coffin is the deceased individual. Now, I've been in funerals where they close it before the service began, and I've been in funerals where they've left it open. And one thing I have never seen as I've done a funeral is for the person in that coffin and casket to get up. Because if it did, we'd need a lot more coffins, wouldn't we? Heart attacks would be happening all over the place. The question Ezekiel's given is, can what is dead be made alive? It is a question of the impossible. Is the impossible possible? Now see, the problem with the people of Israel is they had put God in a box. God lived in his temple. That's where you go to worship God. That's where you go to give sacrifice to God. That's where you go and make sure you're right with God. But he's in his little temple, his little box. Even though when they built the temple, it was declared that God does not live in a building, but he is God of all creation. Ezekiel, in hearing the question of God, was not going to make that decision. God does not go in a box. And even though I don't understand it, even though it seems impossible, I serve the God who makes the impossible possible. And so Ezekiel's response is, Lord God. That word, Lord God, is the same name of God used in the creation account. He understands he is a God who creates life. He is a God who gives life. He is a God who can make things happen out of nothing. Lord God, only you know. He said, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't be able to figure out if it could happen. But God, you know what can be done in this situation. And so what happens is this beautiful picture that God is giving, again, of his people in Israel, in captivity, who are spiritually dead. They are spiritually complacent. 
They have pulled away from God. And the image here is that God, the God of grace, the God of mercy, the God who is faithful despite our faithlessness, calls out to give us life again. See, the people of God have broken their covenant, but because God is a God of covenants, a God of promises, he will never break his promise. And it had nothing to do with what they were doing or who they were or what they could bring to the table. It had everything to do with his glory and his name being recognized. He says, then you will know that I am the Lord at the end of verse 6. See, this is what God wants for you and for me. He wants to call us into this relationship through Jesus Christ. And when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior because we recognize our sin, we recognize forgiveness can only be found through Him and that we can't work or earn for our salvation. The people of God here in Ezekiel 37, they weren't going to work or earn or deserve this life-giving. We come to that realization. We enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ into a covenant, into a promise that we are going to follow God. We are going to obey His Word, not because we have to prove ourselves in our Christianity, but because we want God to know that He alone is our God. He alone is worthy of our worship, and we want all the people around us to see that we serve God and God alone. It's the same theme from Genesis to Revelation. This is what God wants for your life. He wants for you to live a life of obedience to him so people can look at the way you're living and say, yes, that person serves God and they're alive because of God. Unfortunately, we can turn to a lot of churches and a lot of people in, in America today and we don't see a valley of life, but we see a valley of death. The reason that is is because we argue about some of the stupidest stuff. I, I praised God when we got here and got to see the building for the first time that we didn't have carpet. You know how many churches split over carpet color? It's ridiculous. We can argue about some of the stupidest stuff that has no eternal significance whatsoever, and all we do is say this is what our heart and mind is focused on. But at church, Harvest Hill, you and I, we are to be so focused on God that we are a life springing out of us that people see Harvest Hill, people see the way we live our life, and they know, in fact, that we're in a relationship with God and that He is God. Otherwise, we're just like the Valley of Dry Bones. The only way we can produce life is that we serve the God who gives life. So Ezekiel is here, and I want you to see something. Verse 4, it's the Lord God speaking to Ezekiel, and He gives him commands on what to do. And verse 7 says he did exactly, Ezekiel did exactly what the Lord God commanded. And then you have this strange picture of bones coming together and cartilage and muscle and flesh and then they begin coming up and it's this vast array of army that once was dead has now been brought to life. And there's some things I want us to take from this passage before we leave this morning. First, the evidence here is that God is a God of life. Our God gives life. The language here where God speaks of breath is the same language we find in Genesis where God breathed the breath of life into the first man. In verse 14, we see that for us, we can take as a representation when we come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God breathes His Spirit inside of us, and that's what makes us live. 
And then we will know that He is the Lord and I, I have spoken and I will do it. Because God is a God of life and God gives life and God has created us into a new life as His children and heirs to the eternal kingdom, what we are called to do is to represent the life we now have in Jesus Christ from God. And I know I've said this, but I just want to reiterate it once again. When you go to Genesis chapter 1, this is the theme of Scripture. When God created man, does anybody remember how He created man? In His own image. Very good. God created man in His own image. Why would God create man in His own image? So that man and woman would be image bearers of the glory of God. From the very beginning, in perfection. When God goes to send Moses to Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, and out of bondage. Does anybody know why God did it? So that the Egyptians would know that I am the Lord. And in chapter 19, God reveals to His people that I have brought you out as a holy nation and royal priesthood to be my people and I will be your God. It's the emphasis, once again, that God wants people to know that He is God. And how are people to know that He is God? By looking at those who are image bearers of His glory. Looking at you and me who have the breath of life in us. When we turn through the prophecies and, and the Scriptures say that when God constantly called out to Israel to repent and return to Him, the purpose was so other people would see that God is God and they are His people and that they too could come and worship God and know Him as their God. When we turn to God delivering the people of God, it was the purpose that people would know that He is God. We see it here in chapter chapter 37 even, that He is God and that other people will come to know that He is God and He gives life. When we turn to our salvation and God calls us out of darkness into His marvelous light through Jesus Christ, the purpose is what? That we would be Christians, right? That we would look, walk, talk, and act like Jesus Christ to the world so people would know that Jesus Christ is our God and our Savior and they would want to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ as well. It's the same theme throughout Scripture. God is the God of life and the way God wants to reveal life to people in this world is through you and through me. He wants people to be able to see the evidence, the fruit, the good works as the New Testament calls it that we are living a new life in Christ that is different from this world and something you cannot find in this world. And it's only through Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. Sometimes we did it right, sometimes we did it wrong, but that's what we're called to do. The message here in chapter 37, again, is to a people of Israel who are in captivity, who are speaking that we are in our graves. We are dying. We are in hopelessness. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. We're just, we're just in the midst of a time of depression and funk and just being down. And what we see is that it is a representation of the world in which we are called to go out into. That we are in this cool building, serving and worshiping, and hearing the word of God, but the reality is there is a hopeless world out there in need of the hope that we have. And if you notice here, what God wants to do is He tells the prophet Ezekiel, speak to these bones. Did He need to tell the prophet to do that? Couldn't God have just done that? Sometimes don't we do that? Well, God, can't you do it? Can't the preacher do it? Can't the elders do it? Can't the deacons? Oh, the youth pastor, he's, he's, he can do it. 
We want to put it on someone else, but what does God do? He invites the prophet Ezekiel to be a part of something amazing. Be a part of something miraculous. He gives him the words of life, which we have today in the scriptures, in the Bible. He gives it to him, and then all the prophet has to do is what? Repeat the words of life into a world of hopelessness, a world of death. This world is drowning in sin and disobedience and wants nothing to do with God. And what does God commission us to do? Take hope into the world to be ministers of reconciliation with the message of reconciliation and take it out there with what? The words of life. And the promise of Scripture is that God gives us His Spirit as He does here in chapter 37. He gives us the Spirit to give us the words to say when they need to be said. We don't need to worry about it. We don't even have a game plan. We don't need to have a step-by-step -step evangelism track. We just need to take the words of life. What's a word? God loves you. How do I know that? For God so loved the world. Where do you find that? I think it's in John. I think the preacher preached about it on Easter. It doesn't, you don't have to have the reference or the book. God loves you. How do you know God loves me? Because Jesus Christ died for you and rose again that you could be forgiven. Why do I need that? Because you can't work for it, earn it, prove it. It's the only way to be saved. It's the only way to have life in you. This is the message which we call. And so when the prophet Ezekiel calls out, and God speaks about the four corners of the earth coming, the four winds there in verse 9, and breathe into the slain. So Jesus tells us in Matthew 28 that we are to go out into all the earth, north, south, east, west, the four corners of the earth with the words of life and the words of hope, and we are to breathe that out into them. I love it how Jesus in scriptures said to have breathed on his disciples. And the spirit in the book of Acts can also be read as the breath of God. If you're a child of God, you have this breath that brings life out of death in you. It's nothing of your own power, but it's God's gift that you can do all things that pertain to godliness. So we have this message in us, and we have several opportunities because I know the, the kickback, man, I don't think I can do that. Do you think Ezekiel stood on the Valley of Dry Bones and thought, yeah, I can bring these things back to life? No, but what did he rely upon? The God who can do the possible out of the impossible. So if you're in a place where I don't think I can teach a class, I don't think I can share my faith, I don't think I can... Do whatever that thing is you're doing or think you should be doing. You know what? You're in the exact place you need to be. Because if you're at a place where you know you can't do it, who are you going to have to completely rely upon? God. Ezekiel had to completely rely upon the word of God and the power of God to do what only God could do in that situation. And I want to tell you, I know this isn't announcement times. But there are things coming up where we have an opportunity here at Harvest Hill to breathe life and hope into people. One is Art Fest in a couple weeks. We need people just to love on these kids. Do you have to know all the answers? No. But you know what? You're probably not going to get a question from a kid saying, hey, what's the doctrine of justification and propitiation? And how do those go together? They're probably going to ask, can I go potty? You can answer that one. When do we get to eat? 
You can answer that one too. You can tell them that God loves them and you can show them that God loves you. You may live in a place right now, your job may say it is impossible. You cannot share your faith where you work because it is illegal. But you know what? That is so untrue. You may not be able to speak your faith, but you can live your faith. And people can see by the way you live and give God the glory. We got Wednesday Night Lives in the Park coming out. Well, we're going to get out of this box and we're going to go down the street and we're going to invite everybody in the neighborhood to come on out, play some games, have some food and hear the message of hope that God loves them. I don't care if we preach that same message every single week. We should preach it every single week. But if we preach John 3.16 all summer long, we'll be doing a good thing. September, Wednesday Night Lives kick off again. Man, we're always looking for people to love on kids, just to spend time, let those kids know that they are someone that we want to see come to know Jesus, someone that we see worth our time. It's been evident as we've seen the kids come in and out and get to hear some of their stories and, and their family life. Some of these kids, I think, simply come to church because they know there are people here who just love on them and give them the time of day. You can do that. They aren't even asking questions besides pull my finger. <laughs> Youth ministry. Jason, I don't know how long. I've been here for six months and you've been doing since I've been here. He needs help. He needs people to help him out, to love on these students. Now, they may ask more difficult questions, but you got engineers and scientists and, and, and graduates all in here, so just shuffle them that way. But he needs help. He needs people, adults, who have walked with Jesus, who can come along these students who are going through trials and temptations, who can say, this, this is what I did when I was in that situation. This is how I got through it. People who can take them out. If, if I offered to take you all out to eat, would you go? That's all you got to do. Hey, you, you want to go out to eat? Let's spend time together. Don't take me up on that yet because I got things going on today. But, um, but I mean, we can do that. Just, just, just spending time with them. We need help in children's ministry. We need help in nursery. We need help in the worship team. And you may look at the worship team. Well, I don't know if I can sing like that or play like that. That's fine. There are people back there that run things behind the scenes you're completely unaware of. Here in a month, when we're done the kitchen renovation, my prayer is that we will launch a welcome team. When we have this little booth out here, we usually set coffee on. I want to make that into a welcome booth. And maybe you can be the first face of hope when people come in and just say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Can I help you find a seat? There's so many ways to get plugged in that God wants to use you just like he used Ezekiel here in chapter 37. And to not be plugged in, you're just making an excuse. You're saying, God, it's impossible. You're putting your fears before your faith. Are you willing to be used? Last couple months, I've gotten to know this gentleman. Um, got to spend time with him every single week, sometimes numerous times a week. And it doesn't matter what we talk about. I always end up hearing conversations about him sharing his faith with people. It doesn't matter where he's at. He's at the gas station, supermarket, or he's just at his job. And it doesn't matter how our conversation starts. We could start talking about the weather or Ernest P. World, and it always get back to him sharing about Jesus Christ that week. If you know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Richard Campbell. I asked him before I, I, I started talking about him. But man, I can, I've never been in a conversation with you, Richard, 
where you haven't shared about someone that you've come into encounter with that you've been praying for or prayed with or shared about Jesus or invited them to come to church every single week, day in, day out. And you know what? I think I'm fair to say, Richard, would you say you know it all? That's what I thought too. I don't know it all. Would you say you say it right every single time? I don't either. Every conversation, does it end in a conversion? No. But you know what Richard does? He is willing. He is willing to get that conversation to where it really needs to be. He could be talking about drywall. He could be talking about hammering nails. He could be about putting a roof on. But he gets the conversation to where it needs to be, and that's about Jesus. If you are looking at the news and you are so distraught and you're in a place, oh, what's this world going to? You know what the sad thing is? There are many churches that have just thrown their heads up and say, well, this is it. Hope Jesus comes soon because we're in our graves. But are we going to look out into the world and see a world that is in hopelessness and we're going to take the message of hope to them? You can say it right, you can say it wrong, but just say it. If all you can have to say is, Jesus loves you. God loves you. You know, God's not against you. He's for you. Let me tell you how. Say it. I think we've gotten such a fear in our hearts that we can't say anything because we may put somebody off. We may make someone feel uncomfortable. How uncomfortable is that going to be with the relationships of people we have right now when we have to see them standing before God on the other side of the fence? Say it. God loves you. You may get it right. You may stumble through it. You may not see a conversion from that, but at least you're being obedient and you're planting the seed. So, Richard, I'm thankful for your faithfulness. It has encouraged me, and I appreciate the way you encourage me. Tell me how every week I preach a good message. Since I mentioned you today, this better be my best one yet, right? <laughs> Finally, one more thing. Chapter 37. A constant theme that we see in here is no one is ever too far gone. No one is ever too far gone. This is a valley of dry bones, people. Dry bones! And what does God do? He gives life to them. No matter what sin you have in your life, no matter what regret you have in your life, no matter what shame you have in your life, nothing is too great than the power of God's love for you. Nothing you've ever done is too far gone for God to give you grace and mercy and breathe life into you. This is not a message or a passage dealing with that when people die, they can be resurrected and given eternal life. That has nothing to do with this passage. Matter of fact, Ezekiel doesn't even deal with the doctrine of resurrection. But what we can take from it today is people living under the covenant of Jesus Christ is that there is going to come a day where there's going to be no more pain, no more death, no more sin, no more shame, no more struggling, no more muscle aches, no more nothing except joy and completeness and the glory of God. Life like we've never known it before. So if you're wrestling with something, know that the message for right now that you need to hear is whatever you're wrestling with, whatever Satan is coming after you and saying, you know what, this is why God doesn't love you. This is why you can't be a part of bringing hope into the world and speaking love. That's a lie. You may feel like you have a soul of dryness inside of you, and what God wants to bring is living water. He wants to give you hope. He is for you, not against you. 
and he wants to breathe life into you. Nothing is ever too far for God to bring you back. Maybe you're here this morning, what you need to hear is that if you're living in sin as the people of God we're living in, the Bible says that is going to separate you from a God who loves you forever. Forever. But God doesn't want that for you either. He loves you too much for you to be separated from Him forever. So what He did is He came to fight for you. He won the battle of sin for you through Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life you and I can't. He died for our sins. He took the wrath of God upon Him. They placed Him in tomb, but He came out victorious so you and I could have victory. The Bible says it is only by our faith in that, that that is truth. That is how much God loves me. That's how much God is for me. It's by my faith in that that I can be saved and I can be given the Spirit of God, the breath of God into me. If you don't have that breath, that Spirit inside you, you're lost. You're lost. God's brought you this moment to put that breath in there. We're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to ask the worship team, why don't you come on up, Jackson? If that's something you know you need to do, I just need Jesus, I'm going to invite you to meet me down here. Maybe, maybe he's, whoa, you want me to walk up there? If you don't want to do that, you know, this, this one Sunday, I gave you an excuse not to. This one Sunday, one Sunday alone. After service this morning, I'm going to stay right here for anybody who wants to talk about salvation or baptism. And if you've got questions, I may have answers. I may say it wrong. I'm going to do my very best to just give it to God. But if you'll stay just for a couple minutes, then I invite you to do that. But if you know, you know what, I'm, I can't wait. I can't wait for that. i got to come now. Then I'm going to invite you to come. Maybe you know there's something in your life that has been just drying you up and you just need to hand that over to God. If you want to come and kneel before the Father, you're more than welcome to. You don't have to tell me. I'm not a priest. Just come and kneel before the Father. Wherever you are, I believe God has a word for us all this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you for restoring us and giving us life once again. Lord, thank you that there's nothing in us that can separate us from your love. Nothing. And Father, forgive us as a church, as a people, if we have not been living in your love and we have not been shining your light and being the salt of the earth you call us to be. Father, we are surrounded by people that we care about, that need this message of hope, that you breathe life into what is dead. Thank you, Lord, for, for those here this morning that have accepted that life. Lord, I pray for those here who are still wrestling with that and struggling with that. Let your spirit just do the work in their hearts and their minds that, that no man can do. Lord, thank you for the words of life. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for, for being there for us constantly, even when we aren't where we should be for you. Father, is anywhere we have failed you in this place as we have as we've gone through your word please forgive us Lord, we just want to glorify you we want to lift you up we want Harvest Hill to be known as a church and a people who bring all glory to God and him alone so Father I ask that your will continue to come and your kingdom continue to be done in each and every life in this church 
thank you for this day. And Father, as we come this time to sing a song of worship, let us not only worship you with our mouths, but let us worship you with our hearts. Praise in your son's name. Stand as we sing.